All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good, good, good. I wish I could be like the cool kids. Uh, that's where we're headed with our big idea today. And um, I'll tell you, before we launch in, though, I do want to just kind of acknowledge something. Uh, you may notice that uh, Calvin Ives is up here. He's, he's one of our apprentice worship leaders. And we're going to give Calvin a little love for good job today, Calvin. One of the things that is a core value that makes, I think, community unique is we're always about developing people. We're about developing leaders. That's why we have our leadership training center up there that we're training church planters to go plant churches all over the world. We're also about training artists, okay, so we can do things like this. And we want to continue to do that and continue to encourage that kind of, that kind of young talent. And I think that's just awesome, awesome. Um, how, was, how was your Thanksgiving? Good? Yes. Scattered applause. Okay. <laughs> I love Thanksgiving. I, I mean, I, love, I think Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that's kind of like, um, it's one of the few that's kind of under-promise, over-deliver, right? Under, and you go like, and I had a, I mean, I love, um, you know, I love the turkey. I love my wife's cornbread dressing. I mean, that's just the best. And I'll tell you what, it is always a holiday. It is always a holiday when the Bears beat the Packers. Am I right? Oh, man. And, you know, I don't see any Packer jerseys. Almost every time there's a weekend, I see some, I don't see any Packer jerseys in the house. And that kind of just... Makes me feel good. Makes me feel, just kind of warms my heart, all right? Um, but here's the thing, too. Uh, as soon as we eat that last bite, bit of turkey, it seems like immediately we flip over. And I think, you know, Johnny, we flip right into the Christmas season. I mean, Thursday, we're eating turkey and, and watching football. Friday, we kind of chill. Saturday, I'm out shopping for a Christmas tree, buying a Christmas tree, listening to Christmas music, and decorating a Christmas tree. And so whether we like it or not, we are now full in on the Christmas season. And... Um, how, how, many of you, how many of you just love, I love the Christmas season. Love it, love it. Can't get enough of it. More, more, more. How many of you already are overwhelmed? You're going like, oh my gosh, seriously. Can't, January can't, okay, just can't get here soon enough. Well, um, here's the thing. There's one Christmas tradition that I find um, kind of amusing, and it's the, the sending of the family Christmas letter. And I don't mean, the, I don't mean the, the, the pre-printed, you know, Christmas card with nice Christmas sentiments. I'm talking about the page-long family update letters that many of us compose and we send to one another. And, and the thing I find amusing about these, it's kind of like these are our own PR campaigns for how our family's doing. <laughs> Am I right? It's kind of like we look over the last, it's a once-a-year kind of opportunity to put our best foot forward and, and kind of make us look slightly better than maybe we really are. Am I right? Am I right? A little bit, okay. And I always, I kind of wondered, what if, what if we wrote a Christmas letter that actually told the truth? What if we wrote one? I mean, just kind of the, the, the kind of the, the brutal truth. You know, I was thinking about that, and I, I, this still isn't a very good job because I, I am one of those overly ridiculously positive, optimistic people. But I gave it a good shot, and and if I really told the truth, it might go like, "Merry Christmas from the Fergusons." We didn't really want to write this. But we keep getting yours, so we're going to catch up so we look good, too. <laughs> well, in February, Sue and I celebrate our 27th anniversary. We love each other a lot. But truth is, I still do a lot of the, and still say a lot of the same stupid stuff that I did our first year in marriage. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't really that funny, right? <laughs> oh, I worked way too much again this year. It's a pattern. It's probably an addiction. I doubt I'll ever recover. But I'm working on it. Thank you. Amy and Josh are both out of school, but now they have the joy of paying off school loans. That's inspiring. Caleb's a senior. He's narrowing down his selections of colleges. It's going to cost anywhere from thirty to forty-five thousand dollars a year, depending on which one he picks. 
Now multiply that times four. I'm feeling sick. <laughs> my parents are getting older. My mom's eyesight is going. My dad's going to the doctor to find out what his high PSA count means. And if I'm honest, I should probably find out what mine is too. And so another year has passed. And if you ask any of us about any of this, if you ask us about any of this, any of the Christmas parties, we'll deny it all. Just smile, give you a thumbs up, and say kindly pass the eggnog. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, the Fergusons. <laughs> Seriously, I think I'm depressed, all right? See, we, we never write Christmas letters like that, right? Usually it's filled with all kinds of, you know, uh, positivity about the past and optimism about the future and then a whole long laundry list of things that, you know, we accomplished this past year. Why is it, why do we insist on painting a picture of our lives that even would make Norman Rockwell jealous? Why do we have to go to such great lengths to make sure that everything is, is successful and pleasurable and, and, and happy? And here's the thing, I please keep sending me the Christmas cards and letters. I promise not to use any of them as a sermon illustration, all right? But could it be, could it be that it's just one more sign that what we really want, we really want people just to like us? We really want other people's approval. And you know what? It'd be kind of nice to be popular. And then if we're honest, we're kind of addicted to what other people think about us. And why is that? I mean, psychologists might tell you that for some of us, growing up, we received too little affirmation. Growing up, we didn't get praised, we didn't get complimented, and so now, what we lacked growing up, we still, as adults, okay, we run around craving still to receive from other people even today. Others might say, well, no, the truth is actually you, you receive too much empty praise, too much empty affirmation for things you didn't even really do. It's a kind of a trophy generation kind of thing. And so you actually, what psychologists would say, you never developed a sense of self-efficacy that you can do things that are worthy of affirmation. And so now we're kind of addicted to what other people think because of it. And either way, whether it's too little or too much, I think most of us would say that we place a high value on what other people think. Probably high, far higher than what we realize. And I'll tell you what, here's the deal too. Social media, social media I think makes us even worse. How many, let's be honest here, okay? We're just, there's just, you know, a few hundred of us in the room. Um, how many of us... Honestly, you get a little bit of a buzz every time your Facebook, your Instagram gets, gets a like. There we go. Thank you very much. One person here is willing to admit it, okay? Or when you're, when you're Twitter and it's not a tweet, you know, and it gets retweeted. Wow, look at that. Three times it got retweeted. It got favorited ten times, right? Let, let me, I'll go first on this. This is, this is how absurd it is. Recently, um, um, if you, those of you who don't know, my, my brother John and I wrote a book called Finding Your Way Back to God. And we wrote a book called Finding Your Way Back to God. And the publishers came back to us and they want us to write a second book. They want us to write a follow-up book. And we're going to write a follow-up book that is going to call, be called Starting Over. Starting Over Your Life Beyond Regret. And it's going to come out next fall. And in the process of this whole conversation, they came to us and they said, well, but one of the things we'd like for you to do, Dave, is we'd like for you to do a better job of kind of marketing you need to do a better job of marketing. So what I want you to do is, on, and a lot of it happens through social media, we want you to actually move from a Facebook profile page to a Facebook fan page. It just, doesn't that sound weird? A fan page. I mean, this is not Justin Bieber or Kanye, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. I want the publisher to like me, right? I want them to like me, right? And so I, since I want them to like me, I agree to do it. 
But I also, I didn't like the idea of a fan page because I couldn't imagine going, hey, guess what? You know, church folks, i got a fan page. No. So I, what I found out is actually sometimes on Facebook they call it a public profile page. Now, doesn't that sound a little nicer? Public profile page, right? So I know, here's what I'll do. I'll just get a public profile page, or at least I'll call the fan page a public profile page. Why did I do that? So you guys would like me <laughs> and keep liking me. Because I don't want any of you going like, who does he think he is with a fan page? Because it doesn't really work the same. Who does he think he is with a public profile page? It doesn't sound the same, right? <laughs> so I got a public profile page. But then I, so I actually did it. And I put up this public figure, public figure page, right? That's what it's called. But in the first month or so, enough people didn't like it. So that's a bummer. <laughs> so you know what I did? I spent 15 bucks on a Facebook ad so people would like my new public figure page. This is how crazy the whole thing is, right? I got a fan page so the publisher would like me, but I called it a public figure page so you guys would like me. And then when enough people didn't like me, I actually paid to actually get people to like me. <laughs> Does anybody else relate to the desire to be liked? Come on. I need a little help here. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. I'm feeling better now. All right? Here's the deal. Today... We're in a series called Lies We Believe, and this is, I, I have loved this series. It's a, it's a series about confronting the lies that keep us from recognizing our true core identity. And understand, when you find your way back to God, a lot of awesome stuff happens. You get forgiveness for the past, you get a purpose in the present, and you get hope for eternal life in the future. But maybe the most important thing that transcends all of those things is you come to understand your true core identity, that you are a child of God. I said this last week. Some of you are here today because you need to hear it again. You are a child of God. You are loved by God. And he doesn't have to love you. It goes beyond even love. He's actually pleased. Hear that. Let that sink in. He's pleased with you. But we have a hard time grasping that. We have a hard time actually living into that day-to-day, 24-7 truth. And instead we fall for different lies that tell a different story about who we really are. Last week we talked about possession lies. And I, I'm so proud of you. So many of you. So many of you. I got emails from some of you saying, hey, you know what? We gave away stuff just to prove I don't buy into that possession line. I, got, I heard from other folks who said, you know what? I did without stuff. We had a whole bunch of people that volunteered for our Saturday stars. Said, you know what? I'm going to give away time because I don't buy into the possession line. Well, there's another line. Here's the line we're looking at today. It's called this, the popularity line. And the popularity line it just screams, I am what others think. <laughs> I am what others think I am. Now, throughout the series, we've been looking at a story in Luke chapter 4 about Jesus and the temptations. And if you missed this, let me just kind of catch you up to speed. Jesus is starting his public ministry. He's 30 years of age. So far, up to this point, for the first 30 years, first three decades, he's lived in relative obscurity. He hasn't accomplished much. Nobody knows who he is. And he's got a whole world that he's, he's sent here to save. So his public ministry phase begins. And the public ministry is really the difference-making phase of his life. John the Baptist baptizes him. He comes up out of the water. When he comes out of the water. God the Father speaks, and a, and a dove descends from heaven, which is a sign of God's Holy Spirit. And when God speaks, everyone can hear him say this. He says, you are my son, whom I love. It's you with whom I'm well pleased. In that moment, before he goes out to make a difference in the world, God declares the Father, this is your true core identity. He leaves that. He goes out to the desert where he's going to pray and fast. And guess what? That's when the devil shows up. At the beginning of where he's about to make a difference. This is going to be true in your life too. Just as you're about to begin to make a difference in the world the way God intended, 
The evil one shows up with this popularity lie. Here's how it looked in Jesus' life. In Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. He says this, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says this, If, important word there, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up in their hands, so you will not strike a foot against a stone. If, if you are the Son of God, the evil one says. Now remember, God has already declared that Jesus is his beloved Son. And the evil one shows up in his life, like he'll do in your life, and he challenges him. If you're really the Son of God, why aren't you doing anything impressive? If you're really the Son of God, why don't you do something to amaze people? If you're really the Son of God, prove to people that you really are going to, you really are something spectacular. And what's going on behind this temptation is this. That Satan is trying to get Jesus to move away from just a simple kind of trust and acceptance of who the Father says he is and his core identity. And, and there's a whole strategy here developed behind this popularity lie. And the strategy is this, for, 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 both for Jesus and for every one of you, to get you to believe that God's opinion of you isn't enough. To get you to believe that God's opinion of you isn't enough. That there's actually somebody else out there that can better validate your worth. That you need the approval of somebody else other than God himself. And remember, this is kind of tough because right now at this point, there have been no miraculous healings. There's been no worldview-altering teaching from Jesus. There's been no supernatural miracles. And so guess what? Jumping, jumping from this highest point in front of a crowd where he falls and angels grab him, that would be pretty amazing. I mean, this was kind of like Jerusalem's version of having Jesus go to the top of the Sears Tower, jumps off the Sears Tower, 103rd floor, falls, 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 gets about the third floor, and all of a sudden angels swoop in and they grab Jesus. And the crowd goes wild. That's a guy I'd want to follow, Right? That's the temptation. But it's not what Jesus chooses. And he sets a great example for us. Don't fall for the popularity lie. He says this in 4.12. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. For Jesus, to test God like that in that moment, it would mean that he would waver in his trust of the Father who called him a beloved son. And instead... He'd try to prove his worth by impressing other people. You ever tempted to do that? You find yourself tempted to try to impress other people? I mean, we're tempted to do it all the time. And I think, I think most temptations, or at least a lot of them, are centered around chasing the quick approval of people rather than this, this kind of long, steady acceptance from God. Let me just talk real, just to you specifically. For some of you, that's why you overwork. You overwork to please a boss. Or impress peers. Or maybe so you can earn enough money so then with what you could buy, you can impress other people. And you know, you know, okay? You know that that imbalance is costing you in important areas like your own health and your own family. But we do it. And students, I mean, that's sometimes why we party. That's why we, 
why we drink. When we know, I mean, it's illegal. We know it could also cost us a spot on the team. And even academic opportunities. But we do it. It, it, it's, it's why a lot of us, we fill our social media feeds with beautiful people, fun times, beautiful vacation spots, and nice restaurants, not the fights, the boring nights, or the times when we're depressed and all alone. Because we want to gain likes, both online but also in real life. And the voice of God calls us a beloved child, and it's so soft. It's so soft compared to the voice of the clamoring crowd saying, impress me, wow me. And then the voice of the devil who says, jump. And what do we do to impress people? We jump. Let me ask, who are you trying to impress? Is it a boss? Is it a neighbor? Maybe for students, it's, it's a teacher or a coach. Maybe for some of us, it's a friend. Maybe even we find ourselves almost, maybe it's a spouse even. Sometimes, I, it's, it's a weird thing. Sometimes, I almost feel like sometimes I'm trying to impress myself and, and pat myself on the back more than other people, and that becomes more important than God. And when the devil said, jump, don't think for a moment that it wasn't tempting for Jesus to want to jump. But imagine if he had jumped. Imagine if he had jumped. What was at stake of this popularity, this temptation here? If he had jumped, what, had, what would have happened is he would have been living according to someone else's plan for his life, not the Father. Suddenly what would have happened is he would have been writing a story that God didn't author. And Jesus would have sacrificed the purpose and the vision that God had for his very life in exchange for a brief moment of glory. And that's the tragedy of the popularity lie. When we give into it, what it does, it will keep you and it keeps me from living out the life that God the Father actually has for us. It keeps us from acting out the story that God had in mind. It keeps us from becoming all that we were created to be. See, the popularity lie, it screams at us every day, every moment. You are what other people think. You are what other people think. And so sometimes it drowns out the soft whisper of the Holy Spirit that says, No, you're my child. I love you. You're, I'm pleased with you. And because that we live in this kind of constant fluctuation between approval and disapproval, we're crippled by the opinions of other people. We crumble under the pressure to kind of try to be popular. There's a remarkable story, a remarkable story of, uh, of one person who exposed the popularity lie. And it's a, a guy by the name of Jason Brown. I don't know if you've seen this story or not. Jason Brown was a guy who played center in the NFL for the St. Louis Rams. And I can think of few things that make a person more popular than to be an NFL uh, all-star or NFL uh, all-pro athlete. But there was something that mattered more to Jason. Here you go. At one point, number 60, Jason Brown was one of the best centers in the NFL. At one point, he had a five-year, $37 million contract with the St. Louis Rams. And at one point... He decided it was all meaningless and just walked away from football. My agent, you know, he told me, he said, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. And I looked right back at him. I said, no, I'm not. 
No, I'm not. So what could possibly trump the NFL? You wouldn't believe. Jason Brown quit football to be a plain old farmer. Even though he never farmed a day in his life, how did you learn even to do what you're doing? Get on the internet. You watch YouTube videos. So you learned how to farm from YouTube. Yeah. You can still plant your crops. Thanks to YouTube and some good advice from other farmers here in Lewisburg, North Carolina. This week, Jason finished harvesting his first five-acre plot of sweet potatoes. When you see them pop up out of the ground, man, it's the most beautiful thing that you could ever see. He says he has never felt more successful. Not in man's standards, but in God's eyes. But God cares about the NFL. I see people praying to him on the field all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people praying out there. But um, when, when I think about a life of, of greatness, I think about a life of, of service. Which leads us here. Which leads us here. Yes. See, his plan for this farm, which he calls First Fruits Farm, is to donate the first fruits of every harvest to food pantries. Today, it's all five acres, 100,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. It's unusual for a grower to grow a crop just to give away. Rebecca Page organizes food collection for the needy. And that's what Jason has done. And he's planning to do more next year. Jason has a thousand acres here, which could go a long way toward eliminating hunger in this neck of North Carolina. Love is the most wonderful currency that you can give anyone. You sure you played in the NFL? <laughs> yes. Because I feel like cuddling you right now. Don't do that. <laughs> Jason may have left the NFL, but apparently holding is still a penalty. Steve Hartman on the road in Lewisburg, North Carolina. That is a great story. That is a great story. Here's what I want. I want every one of you to break the popularity lie. I want that for every one of you. And so here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you with two questions. I want you to take these two questions, and I want you to ask these questions over and over again. This is something you can, can put into the rhythm of your life. Here's the que first question. You ready for this? Whose opinion matters the most? Come on, this is a hard question, people. Whose opinion matters the most? Is it really God's? I'll tell you, because God's opinion matters most, that sets you up for success in, in un unbelievable kind of ways. But there's a reality you need to be aware of. In choosing God's approval over other people's approval, you're going to disappoint some folks along the way. And if you look at Jesus' life, I mean, he disappointed his own family. Go back to the Gospels. They thought he'd gone crazy. He disappointed folks in his hometown. Remember, they at one point wanted to push him off a cliff. He disappointed the religious leaders. He never gained their approval, or the institution of religion never gained their approval. He disappointed the crowds because they wanted a Messiah that would conquer kind of the, the Roman oppressors. You're going to disappoint some folks. And I want to ask you this, and maybe this is important for you to do a little reflection now. Who comes to mind right now? Right now, right now. Who is it? Who are those folks that you know you're going to have to disappoint if God's opinion matters the most? Because when we stop trying to perform to earn the approval of others, we're going to disappoint some people. But that's okay. Here's the second question. Because if God's opinion is going to matter most, here's the second question. The question is this. What is God asking you to do? What's God asking you to do?
my hunch in this room, and maybe it's particular to every, maybe there's something specific to every person in this room. There's something God has been prompting you to do, and you may not be familiar with that kind of terminology, but you just kind of have a sense you ought to be thinking about doing, or something you enjoy doing that doesn't kind of fit the mainstream, that seems to make a difference, that gives you a satisfaction that you've been putting off. What is it you've been putting off because of what other people will think? Because of those who are close to you, how they're going to respond, or because certain people won't approve. And for some of you, it's in the area of generosity with your resources. For some of you, it's in the area of hospitality, of welcoming folks into your home. For some of you, maybe it's things as specific as like, like adopting a child. Maybe some of you, it is like a, a trajectory towards full-time ministry. Or working in a not-for-profit. Or maybe it actually means moving to another part of the country, a part of the world. But for some of you, a whole bunch of us in this room, it doesn't mean moving at all. It means God has you exactly right where he wants you. You just got to quit trying to earn the approval of other folks and just focus on his approval. Because he wants you to use the business that you have, the position you have right now for his gain, for kingdom gain. And so you can make a difference in this difference-making phase of your life. He's got you in the school he wants you, on the team he wants you, in the class he wants you, in the circles he wants you. Because he knows you can make a difference in the lives of other people, other friends, other students. He's got you in the neighborhood he wants you because of the connections there and how you fit together there and how you can impact people there. And know this, along the way, there's going to be times in your life when God is going to say, just trust me because I know who you are. And it's not going to make sense to other people. Other people are going to shake their heads. And there's going to be time even yourself, you're going to be mumbling to yourself going like, man, am I crazy? But in the middle of all that, hear me on this, there'll be a peace in your heart. God's word will confirm it. And you're going to have Christ followers who value God's opinion first above their all else who will also confirm it. And if you will dare, if you will dare to live a life like that, where God's opinion matters most, and you will obey the things that he, that he tells you to do, you will live an amazing, faith-filled adventure. You will write a story that other people will retell. And in the end, you're going to hear from God the Father, well done, well done, my child. And here's what's going to happen. In a moment, we're going to walk out those doors. Out those doors, we're going to walk back out into a world where you are bombarded with a popularity lie that screams, you are what other people think. You are what other people think. And that whole world's going to say, jump. And they're going to expect us to go, how high? But we're not giving into that. Because here we are together as a community of brothers and sisters. We're all a part of the same family. The same family. Who has a father who looks and says, no, you are my child, you are loved, and I am so pleased with you. And what ultimately matters most is not what other people think about you, but what God thinks about us. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, I ask that you give us the courage. Give us the courage as a community of folks who encourage one another Give us the courage as your Holy Spirit fills us and we hear your voice and we read your word that confirms all these things we're hearing today. That we can move forward into your world with that as our core true identity. And that allows us to trust you to make a difference in remarkable ways that other people would never see coming. Lord, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.